0: Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr.
1: Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door. And this is pretty exciting. I'm here with Nick Shauna. Nick Shauna, uh, you look great today. Are you enjoying this end of the year festive uh, time?
2: Yes, this is my favorite time of the year
1: fantastic well it's my favorite time of the year too starting with thanksgiving of course <laughs> and lasting all the way through january 6th when they throw the cross here in uh, tampa bay into the bayou of tarpon springs i've never made it down to that ceremony have you no i've never made it either okay well maybe we'll have a, an opportunity here this uh, january maybe next january i'm out of town this january 6th but it's been exciting to see that uh you, you know very well publicized ceremony it's uh a uh, rather beautiful, ornate Eastern Orthodox cross that's tossed into the bayou with, what, 100 or 150 teenagers ready to wow. dive in, you know, arranged on a big circular, you know, kind of perimeter of boats. And yeah, with I've these... only
2: seen it on the Internet. Oh, it's so much fun. We make, make it a priority now. Yeah,
1: one of the board members of the C.S. Lewis Society, the sponsor for this program, actually got the cross when he was, I think, uh, about 17 years old. Wow. Yeah, George Nicholas, so maybe... Uh, we can see some other great uh, teenager come up. As always, they always have one teenager who fumbles into the, the the muddy bottom of the bayou and comes up with a cross and breaks the surface and then is hauled out of the chilly water and given a blessing from the, uh, the Patriarch of North America for the Eastern Orthodox Church. Well, that's uh, Epiphany as it's celebrated here in Tarpon Springs, one of the most famous Greek communities in the United States. And we're hoping that uh, as you... There, wherever you're listening to this radio broadcast or podcast, we're excited, by the way, Nick. We're experiencing this breakthrough of a radio broadcast, which is also an international podcast. Yes. Time for rejoicing. Yes. So great. Yeah. So it's pretty uh, exciting and fun for us. And we're thankful for all the people who have great technical expertise who have helped us to understand how to pull this off. So today we're uh, trying to really uh, come up with a, an approach to the holidays that links not only apologetics but the celebration of Christmas into one amazing moment. And that moment, of course, begins right now because we want to turn our attention to the book of Luke. And maybe as the Christmas season is just uh, passing us, you know, we just had Christmas and we're uh, hurtling toward New Year's celebration Very quickly. Now, uh, for many of us, this uh, experience of Christmas was probably one that focused to some extent on the story in Luke chapter 2. And of course, Luke chapter 1 leads right into Luke chapter 2 because it's the background, the birth of John the Baptist, and of course, the prophecy, uh, the announcement by Gabriel to Mary that she would bear a son and that he would be the ruler. Of the of the kingdom of Israel, he would take the throne of David, his uh, ancestral kingly father, if you will, and that uh, the house and the lineage of David would be under his authority forever and ever. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. And you know, this is a a point in dispute uh, among the atheist uh, community. Of course, I mean that goes without saying. But I was just reading in Nick in my little you know kind of. Uh, keeping an eye on the opposition, we call this op, op research, opposition mm-hmm. research. This book by the, one of the most famous new atheists, called "Letter to a Christian Nation." I dip in now and then just to see what the other side is saying. And Sam Harris uh, expresses this point of view on page five. Very interesting because he says, "I've written elsewhere about the problems I see with religious liberalism and religious moderation." Uh, here we need only observe that the issue is simpler and more urgent than liberals and moderates generally admit. Either the Bible is just an ordinary book written by mortals or it isn't. I mean, just stop right there. I think he he picks up an important truth. Would you agree? Yeah, it's one or the other. Yes. I mean, there's no middle ground. It's either, you know, what well, we would say, you know, a, a, an ordinary book, but just, you know, maybe one of the better, maybe one of the more impressive, uh, or it's written jointly co-authored, you might say, by God. Now, am I treading on doctrinal thin ice? I don't think so, because the Word of God is God breathed. We know that from Second Timothy chapter three. All scripture is God breathed. So it literally is the product of the creative breath of God, the energy, the intelligence, the mind, the factual reservoir of God himself. But it's co-authored, each of the you know, 66 books of scripture is co-authored by a human author. So this is what we call dual authorship. The human author had meaning in his head and mind, and God literally superintends, comes alongside and gives additional meaning that maybe is not glimpsed uh, to the casual observer. And so that second level of authorship is pretty exciting, pretty amazing, pretty wonderful. And that's what we mean when we refer to this dual authorship. So, picking up what Sam Harris says, he says, uh, af- having said either Bible is just an ordinary book or it isn't. He then f- homes in on Christ, and this is what he says: either Christ was
2: divine or he was not. Mm-hmm. I think it almost true. sounds a little bit like the liar, Lord, or lunatic exactly. argument. Exactly, you know.
1: And, and, and so, I appreciate the clarity. He sees it. It's 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 robust, good thinking at this at this point. He says, either Christ was divine or he was not. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ is an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. And I would totally agree with Sam Harris, this famous new atheist. If the Bible um, is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the history of Christian theology is the story of bookish men parsing a collective delusion. That's an interesting statement. And so he sees the issue, and uh, I won't get into his discussion of the origin of life. Maybe I can t- touch on that in our broadcast next week as we move into more of the area of science. But as we're talking today about Christianity and the appearance of God in human flesh breaking into and presenting himself as observable within human history, that is a turning point of massive proportions. So, that the truth of Christ from an apologetic point of view, looking at the evidence for Christ, really depends on are these factual matters or are these just stories made up after the fact? And that's where I think it's really important that we understand that the disciples, the 12 disciples, which became, each one of them became, uh, with the replacement of Matthias, of course, taking the place of Judas in Acts chapter 1. Those 12 apostles were going out to a world that not only knew (coughs) nothing about this new story, but were inclined to doubt it unless there was sufficient evidence presented. And so one can overlook sometimes what is happening right before the Luke 1 and Luke 2 uh, presentation of the Messiah as having come. And that particular... Amazing account is in Luke 1, 1 through 4. So if you have a copy of the scriptures uh, handy to you, you can do it electronically. If you have a Bible, of course, if you're uh, in a a car, uh, I will read for you the the words uh, so that you can hear them. And so the preface of this entire amazing book of Luke comes to a head, comes to a focal point right at the beginning in terms of the truth from Research. This is factual accounting with meticulous care, an amazing effort to interview the eyewitnesses. So I'm going to read this, Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So uh, as we're uh, nearing the end of our first uh, portion of the program, uh, I want to just reiterate that this is the announcement of the author of the book of Luke, and the book of Acts for that matter, you know, the uh, physician Luke, known for uh, being the travel companion of Paul. So large portions of the book of Acts are actually written in the we structure of writing. That is, we travel to this city. We experience this or that um, encounter or persecution. So the we sections of the book of Acts show that Luke was a very close traveling companion, ministry team member with the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul was an intellectual of first rate. He had studied the scriptures under one of the genius, under the, one of the theological Einsteins of that day, Gamaliel the great teacher of the Hebrew scriptures in the first century. So Paul could actually kind of put, you know, if you will, his little wall diploma, you know, graduate of the school of the tutoring of Gamaliel on his wall and impressed anyone in that era. But Paul, of course, experienced this dynamic encounter with Christ himself. He was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And so we see the travel companion of Paul, Luke, this medical doctor, this physician, speaking here of the amazing, powerful achievement that had taken place right there in, in the first century Palestine of Christ coming. The Word, he describes him, it sounds like the book of John almost. It's amazing he uses that term, we were servants of the Word. He doesn't just say we were servants. He said we have compiled an account of the eyewitnesses that's in verse 2. So Luke 1, verse 2, the second verse of this gospel, nails it down on, under the, the topic of this is eyewitness history. Next point. He says in verse 3, we have carefully, not only just checked out with the eyewitness, we've investigated, you know, I and everybody he talked with, We're we're a part of that process of, and the word is investigated, everything, and he adds the word carefully. Think of meticulous research. You know, Nick, when I was doing my doctoral work in University of South Florida, writing a history of the intelligent design movement, Mm -hmm. I actually had to interview the key living exponents of both sides. And one of the most interesting encounters was a professor of geology at the University of Chicago, David Raup. And we spent probably two hours on the phone with him recalling experiences with, with the great evolutionists and ID proponents arguing and debating in front of him. Uh, you can wow. imagine. <laughs> I was pretty excited. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote down every word. Wow. I mean, I was like a sponge. And I, I was, I'm thinking, th- I, I'm actually hearing eyewitnesses to history. And some of those details, a lot of those details went into chapters two, three, and four of my book, Doubts About Darwin. I even quoted a direct statement from David Raup about the excellence of Phil Johnson's scholarship, the father of
2: intelligent design. It's a great book you wrote, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I was going to say that he, he's so thorough that a lot of scholars believe that he interviewed Mary herself, the mother of Jesus. And that's get... a
1: really, that's a good segue because we're going to get to the to the Mary story. We're going to touch on it briefly. I think it's extremely likely. I yeah. mean like 99.9999999% likely that that Luke had extensive hours hours I mean uh writing down every detail of Mary's memory.
2: And and this was a guy who was not an apostle. He wasn't a follower of Christ early on like the rest of the disciples. Right. And that's very interesting. And
1: that makes it all the more amazing uh when Absolutely. you think when when you think that that Luke had this opportunity to dive right into what we're seeing here. Eyewitness history, and I'll just conclude this before we go into the Mary story after our break here. Uh, wh- what we see here is that he's not only uh, uh, undertaken uh, this effort to compile an account, okay? So he's not only checked out all the facts with the eyewitnesses, but the thirdly, he's investigating and has found it necessary, everything carefully from the beginning. And then fourthly now, he's written it out in consecutive order. And then as if that was not enough, he says to his uh, intellectual colleague, you might think of his, uh, the theologian, the student up in Rome in all likelihood, this was sent to Theophilus in Rome. He says, I want to have you know, the purpose is in verse four, so that you might know, and I love the words, the exact truth about the things that you've been taught. So Paul, uh, working with Luke, was gathering information and using it in his own ministry, the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Now, that's probably, that's a phrase not familiar (laughs) to everybody, but if you've ever heard of the Dragnet program, (laughs) I think it was Joe was the the guy, you know, the lieutenant who was saying, the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Okay, and that's what, you know, honestly, Luke, working alongside Paul, was really interviewing Mary, the facts, ma'am, the facts. And, and, you know, every every jot and tittle, every detail of that memory, I want to put it down. I may not use all the details, but mm-hmm. I'm going to collect them, sift them through what we can put into a moderate-sized yeah. account.
2: Use what's needed.
1: Use what's yeah. needed. There you go. And so uh, what uh, we're, we're excited to see what has come about in the production of this account of not only the birth of Christ, But the prophetic environment leading up to it, the birth of John the Baptist, just before that, the birth of uh, Christ is like a part of a dual birth account. And so we're excited to be able to jump into the story of Mary and a little bit of the apologetics of the Christ child, the birth of the Messiah, the coming of God into human flesh. So uh, we're going to take just a quick break here for me to announce that it's never too late for anybody who is um, able to go to our website to see our new web page. Our new web page is just uh, an amazing resource. The resources that we have there are mostly video uh, right there on the page, but we also have extensive um, articles. And Nick Shauna, I want to thank you for collecting it's a, a, a tsunami of information. <laughs> and, and then, oh, I enjoyed every and, second of and, it. And then passing it along to us. We are your debtors. We owe you a massive thank you for helping our new web page to literally, I mean, it's, it explodes with, with video resources. And then now that we have those articles ready to uh, equip anybody who's interested in anything. And now some
2: podcasts. And and
1: some podcasts, and that is uh, really uh, ramping up to a new level even as we speak. So I take my proverbial hat. I'm not wearing a hat today, but I take it off anyway and doff it in your direction. So we encourage you to go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org, and that will be, I think, an exciting venue for you to be equipped in every area of apologetics information and uh, resources that can encourage you and equip you to share your faith with others. And if you're checking out the Christian story, the, the Christian worldview, the Christian account of history and want to know if Christ is real and if he's relevant for your life, we believe that, that and the answer for that question is a, an astounding yes, overwhelmingly true um, that Christ came to die in our place, he loved us enough to bear the, the burden of our guilt and shame, uh, pay the penalty for our sin problems, which of course are like a massive cancer that not only affects each one of us, but the entire human race. So Christ not only committed, as it were, to, to rescue us, but after he had paid the penalty, he rose from the grave and uh, as he had prophesied, as he had predicted. Talk about a testable prediction in science. That's what the Bible's filled, uh, filled up with, testable predictions. And so Christ did arise from the dead. Uh, he's seen by eyewitnesses that are listed all through the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a massive... Uh, intense list there of eyewitnesses and the rest is history the transformation of lives began not only with uh, the coming of Christ but it just blossomed and just rolled out through the Roman Empire and beyond in that first century environment so it's been an exciting process for us to um, experience the joy and the transformation that comes with apologetics so thank you again Nick Shauna Uh, now after a little break Uh, doing the kind of pointer to apologetics.org and our video page. I want to just come back and spend a few more minutes. We've got about seven minutes left here, a little bit less. But I want to revisit the story of Mary. We find Mary brought in in the opening uh, section of the book of Luke. Um, Actually, the, uh, the, the section that begins the Mary story, I'm looking at it here, is in verse 26. Uh, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And of course, uh, the angel uh, interrupts her flow of activity for the day and greets her with a startling, uh, very amazing greeting. It says, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was troubled. She was pondering what that might be. And then the angel Gabriel repeated, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary, of course, responds saying, How can this be? I am a virgin. And the angel, of course, uh, with the well-known answer, says the agency of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And I love verse 37 because when she says, um, you know, she's like still pondering how this can be the angel tells her about the pregnancy of her aged uh, relative Elizabeth and then adds the comment for nothing will be impossible with God don't you love that?
2: yes I do that's a takeaway <laughs>
1: <Yes>. remind <laughs> yourself 10 times a day nothing is impossible with God even the creation of a new homepage for the apologetics.org website mm. which you pulled off and God was showing his power even through you, Nick. Thanks, thanks again for doing that. So what we're trying to point out here is that there's a connection between Jesus and King David. You don't see it right there on the surface. But the three key terms that are used here in the prophecy, in Gabriel's announcement to Mary, the term um, reigning over the house of Jacob forever, The term his kingdom will have no end. So the house and the kingdom are mentioned. And in addition, uh, it says that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So we find the word throne, we find the word house, and we find the word kingdom. So, Nick, which Old Testament covenant might be possibly in 1st? excuse me, Second Samuel, in the opening chapters with emphasis on chapter 7. Which covenant do you think might be connected with the birth account? Davidic. Very good. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yes. Jeopardy. You win the Jeopardy game. Uh, I was not jeopardizing myself by asking you. I knew, <laughs> I knew you had a good chance of answering that. And, and by the way, uh, in case uh, you're wondering, I had not actually clued him in, but I had confidence in your biblical knowledge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Nick, well done. <laughs> First so,
2: Samuel, Old Testament? or that... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Second Samuel is in the Old Testament. Thank you, brother. <laughs> so, no, but in, in that amazing prophecy, you know, Nathan, of course, um, came back to King David with this uh, startling announcement. You wanted to build God a house. Well, he wants to build you a house. You won't be building God's house physically, you know, the house, the temple. But he wants to establish for you a house, which means a dynasty, And so this dynasty, which expands really uh, from beyond David to encompass his rule, is over the entire kingdom of Israel, and his throne will last forever and ever. So we want to thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door, and we um, are thankful that you are interested in apologetics. If you want to check out what we're doing right now in the new year and our plans for having Doug Axe come to Tampa Bay in April, just check us out under the upcoming events. And uh, just if you have any questions, just contact us, information at apologetics.org.
0: See you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.